We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. Sebastian Maniscalco. Good to be on the score. I mean, I've been a score guy ever since in the 90s listening to you guys. You know, now with the Bears, I don't know what the hell's going on. Afternoons on the score. How you doing, buddy? Have a good, uh, have a good day, all, all right? right. I asked Ann Heron how he was doing as soon as I saw him in the hallway today. It's totally normal time to ask someone how they're doing when you first see them. I'm learning. Usually. Yeah. Often how it goes. Yeah. Don't worry. Come 545 when we're getting out of here for Bulls basketball, <laughs> I also will ask okay. you how you're doing. That's going to be more awkward. Yeah. But I'll be aware of it. Yeah. It'll be self-referential at that point. So, I would say that everything's on the table for Ryan Poles. Mm-hmm. However... If he drafts Will Anderson or Jalen Carter at number one overall, I will be disappointed. That that is an outcome here that I do not accept as being plausible for maximizing this asset that he lucked into. Do not accept that. I just I, I don't. Get, yeah. I, um, I, I, they, that would be a vi- they're, they're not one player away. Right. You don't win big in the NFL because of individual defensive players. Mm-hmm. You can win with great defensive players. They can be game changers. They, yeah. can, they can definitely be game changers, but like Cleveland hasn't won anything because Miles Garrett is awesome. Right. Right. Like yeah. the Niners win partly because of Nick Bosa being awesome, but it's also because of they've got five difference makers on their defense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a collection to of, go along with five difference makers on their offense, one of the best offensive lines in football. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm just talking right, about like right. if you're built that individual defensive uh, an, talent. An, an individual defensive talent does not really change anything for the Bears mm-hmm. in the short term. Uh it might eventually, but like I so I don't have a problem if they draft Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, yeah. but it needs to be with other assets acquired in order to do so. What say you? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I think that, and frankly, it's it's why it doesn't really matter if Ryan Poles is all in on Justin Fields yet or not. That That's where the the discussion around, and I feel like it's it's maybe died down a bit about whether or not the Bears – would consider a QB or would they take Bryce Young or, you know, do your due diligence, but it really doesn't matter whether or not Ryan Poles is all in on Justin Fields or not because the roster needs so much overhaul because what they have now is so far away from being championship caliber that you have to build everything else up before you really even determine, you know, whether or not you're going to be all in on your QB because regardless of who the QB is, you need several defensive linemen you need multiple offensive linemen you need multiple skill position guys and this draft cycle is where you can at least take a big step forward in that regard so trading down from number one and accumulating as much draft capital as possible for both this season and hopefully next season as well is what puts you in a stronger spot and then if Justin Fields does prove definitively that he's your quarterback of the future that's icing on the cake but whether or not Ryan Poles believes in Justin Fields quarterback really and he 
basically said this, but quarterback doesn't really need to be a big part of his focus for this draft or evaluating the QBs. Do it. Do you due diligence? But beyond that, your roster needs a, a lot of help regardless of who the quarterback is. I will see. Now, there is a place where we disagree because I – I am firmly in the camp that Justin Fields is the dude and you need to surround him and support him and I want to see it through and I'm 98% sure that that's the path that they're going to do because because of what you just said. However, yeah man, I liked what Paul said. Like I'd have to be absolutely blown away. Like Lawrence said, you know he watches every Alabama game. Mm-hmm. He's like I think that Bryce Young is like Drew Brees in terms of accuracy and processing. Mm-hmm. Well, he's also way more mobile than Drew Brees. So, like, mm-hmm. if he's Drew Brees with mobility, that would fall into the category of absolutely blown away to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I think we got to keep Drew Brees even in context as well, though, too. Like, a Hall of Fame quarterback, but, you know, Drew Brees isn't the guy who you take him at number one and throw him in Cincinnati, and he would have thrived anywhere. He wasn't necessarily thriving early in his career in San Diego. You know that development took place. He got with Sean McVay or got with uh, Sean Payton with Sean Payton in New Orleans, and then his career certainly took off. But right, but I guess if there is a, I look at uh, at uh, Drew Brees as like the kind of like the Dan Marino of his generation. Mm-hmm. Crazy accurate, mm-hmm. five thousand yard passer. The only two dudes who've done it multiple times. Mahomes is one. Uh, Breeze is the other. Like the 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 ceiling of that dude as a passer is incredible. And so yeah, you it would then be incumbent upon the Bears to maximize the talent and put him in the Sean Payton type of situation uh, that that he was in. But I want him to do more than just a cursory evaluation of these quarterbacks because. The most valuable thing you can have in the NFL is a superstar quarterback on a rookie contract. Mm-hmm. And I think the Bears have one who has the potential to be that. But if it came, like, let's put it this way. Let's say this was next year mm-hmm. and Caleb Williams was there. Mm-hmm. What would you say? I would feel differently. I mean, at the moment, like, you know, a year from now, we'll have more Caleb Williams data by then. But for, if Caleb right Williams now. was in this draft. If Caleb Williams was in this draft. And the Bears had the number one pick and you were at the exact same point on Justin Fields' clock. He would be amongst the top two guys I would consider likely ahead of Bryce Young. But I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm slow to, you know, sort of I know anoint you are. some of these guys. But I, I, I love what I saw from Caleb Williams this year. I want to see it for another season in college. But he, would you be saying trade the number one pick if Caleb Williams was in this draft? I would no. not. Neither, neither would no. I. You would be saying draft Caleb Williams. Oh, oh, no. No, I wouldn't. You wouldn't? No, I wouldn't. Because, okay. Because I, I think that it's kind of like my, what would. my thought was on the Roquan situation. I feel like if you're, if you're already solidified at one spot and you have the potential, you obviously got to reach an agreement or whatever when it comes to contracts, but I don't think you need to create more problems, especially for where the roster is right now. Mm. And so for where the Bears roster is at, if they drafted Caleb Williams tomorrow, Caleb Williams would need a lot of resources, a lot oh, of yeah. help around him. Joe Burrow is a unicorn. What Joe Burrow has done in Cincinnati is not the norm, just like we were talking about with LeBron James and comparing to Patrick Williams and everyone else. Whoever you draft to the Bears right now, the entire roster needs overhaul. I I do not count on any rookie quarterback coming in as the number one pick to a roster devoid of talent, just saying you're going to lift all of them up. So right now, having Justin Fields on the roster, he's proven more than enough. And I I know you you agree with me for the most part. Yeah. He's proven more than enough where, yes, you evaluate the QBs, you do your due diligence, but I think the priority 
is accumulation of talent and preferably accumulation of blue chip talent, which trading down from number one and accumulating multiple. But picks you'd for get that assets for fields. That's what makes it interesting. It's not like you would just keep sure. fields. You you. But it's like it's like driving a new car off the lot. Like it's not a new car anymore when you drive it off, drive it off the lot. You'd get you'd certainly get something for fields. You wouldn't get the value of the number one pick. You would not, No, you wouldn't. Right. So the, the the equation is fields plus the assets acquired for the number one pick versus the quarterback that you would select at number one mm-hmm. and the assets you get for fields. Which thing is more valuable? Mm-hmm. I tend to think in this draft, it's pretty clear that it's fields plus the assets for the number one pick because the quarterbacks in this draft are, well, Will Levis is the physical specimen that you can mold into something. Somebody is really about to mess up with Will Levis, by the way. You're not a believer? Oh, it, Josh Allen is. Josh Allen made him a bunch of money, but Will Levis, he, he couldn't start over Sean. Well, he didn't start over Sean Clifford at Penn State. Sean yeah. Clifford was a good college quarterback who put up a bunch of numbers for an excellent football program. Will Levis is too physically gifted to be backing up Sean Clifford, which he realized and transferred to Kentucky. But there's a reason he wasn't starting over Sean Clifford. It's because he was a short yardage fullback, essentially, for Penn State while he was there because he doesn't read the field quickly, because he doesn't consistently pass with accuracy and anticipation. And he got to Kentucky and made a bunch of plays. But, you know, I'm, I, I think you draft the talent, no doubt. But if somebody's going to take Will Levis in the top five and say he's our day one starter – they're going to be waiting on a headache. Yeah, and I and I think – I don't know if they'll make him the day one starter, and I commend the hell out of what well, the – if you draft him in the top five, you likely will. Yeah, probably. I mean, we'll see. I mean, So, Seattle has the fifth pick, right? They could they right. could, they could draft they could draft him fifth, and I'm not trying to, like, well, actually, yeah. you are like, got you here with uh-huh. the one example. But, like, right. you, I, I could see someone – because Josh Allen ha- was a headache for a couple of years, right? Uh-huh. He, he was not good for right. two full seasons and then showed a little bit of progress in the third and exploded – uh, in in the in the fourth season, and obviously that one was worth it. But I listen, I'm with you. Like the two, if the two guys are Josh Allen was fortunate to be drafted to a team with a defensive minded head coach. That that was such a big benefit to Josh Allen. This is a discussion we can have at some point later in the show as well. You know, there's benefits to going to a squad with a defensive minded head coach because when you have an offensive head coach, he cannot wait to put the entire offense on the shoulders of a quarterback, regardless of him being a veteran oh, or Oh, have we ever young, seen that here? There, there are so <laughs> many things yeah. I can do with this cool new toy I have, and through, through my lens of being the offensive-minded head coach slash play caller, I cannot wait for this offense to take off with this guy I've got behind center, and there's so many examples of that going awry. Whereas when you have the defensive-minded head coach, they're going to play it close to the vest. They're going to make sure that the system will, will indicate that the defense is going to have to play less snaps in the run game. It's going to t- play a big role in how you move the ball offensively. And you will grow and mature slowly, methodically as a quarterback. And then, hopefully, as Josh Allen did, you get to the point where you say, kid, kid, here's the keys to the car. You got the entire thing. Yeah. But it took several years to get to that point. It's a part of why I like the way the Bears handled things with Justin Fields this season. Well, the, the, and the Josh Allen story, by the way, I don't think it's going to be like the example that I was giving about what happened in Atlanta with Matt Ryan and when Kyle Shanahan left and like he, he had Kyle Shanahan and he won an MVP and they were in a Super Bowl and then Kyle Shanahan left and he was like fine, but not great. And Matt Ryan played a lot of good football before Kyle Shanahan got to Atlanta also. But he was... He was MVP caliber with Shanahan. He won MVP, won right. Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan was there. Right. And, yeah, no, obviously, Matt, Matt, Matt Ryan was very good, was the number one pick the whole thing. But, like, he lost Brian Dable. And he got 
pretty reckless this year. And now he's a turnover machine. Again. And now he's a turnover machine. Yeah. And Brian Dable went to the Giants, and Daniel Jones, who was a turnover machine, mm-hmm. played the most efficient football of his pro career. Yep. And I'm not saying that Josh Allen's going to fall off completely. He's an incredible talent. He's got multiple 4,500-yard, 30-touchdown seasons. He's had huge playoff games, too. So, like, I, I think Josh Allen is great. But he hasn't been great without Brian Dable. Mm-hmm. Right? He was not great this year. No. He was. I mean, by the standard he had set. By right. the standard he had set, yeah. he lost his offensive coordinator and took a step back. Uh-huh. And so I just, th- that continuity of coaching, when people were like, when I said, I don't know, if Luke Getze unlocks Justin Fields, I'd get Eberflus up out of here to, to keep it, man. It's and, and Josh Allen had Brian Dable for four years. Mm-hmm. So it, and I know Luke Getze's not leaving this year. Right. Right? Because that'd be shocking, yeah. Yeah, I've certainly been shocked before, but yeah, I mean, it's not gonna. I mean, seem likely. it seems like it would have happened already if it was going to happen. At least more interviews by now. Whatever. He yeah. hasn't gotten interviews, right? But like, so I don't know. A lot of Bears fans just seemed totally okay with the idea of, well, if Luke Getzey goes, we'll be fine. It, it's good if he goes because that means that he was successful with Justin Fields. I, mean, I I am not that confident in that. I wouldn't go to to the degree that it's good if he goes, but between the two, there's at least one guy with head coaching experience who's been in the NFL for a long time and had success as a coordinator before this, and there's another guy who's called plays for one season in the National Football League and had good results. How how many of the results were from his play calling, from his, you know, his way that he de- deploys the talent and personnel groupings and everything else and how much of it was, all right, I got this young gifted quarterback. I'm going to allow him to make more plays with his legs. And then it boosts everything else up. There's a balance between those two things. But just like I'm talking about being wait and see on Caleb Williams, I like what I saw from Luke Getzey yeah. this season. But I'm not at the point where I'm going to view it as some huge loss as though they should anoint him ahead of Matt Eberflus. And that's not because I'm, I think Matt Eberflus has proven he's a great head coach either. That's the thing, man. I – so I had this on my list too. Okay. Is Matt Eberflus a good coach? Good, yes. Good, yes. All right. Our evidence of that is they played hard and they cut down drastically on penalties. Yep. And and I think there's a situational awareness in game. You know, like you're, you're a big fourth down guy, right? Yeah. I, I think Matt Eberflus was very choosy in moments where he where he gave them. He talked about the green light where he would go for fourth downs. There are other scenarios and situations where, in my opinion, it wouldn't have made sense to go for a fourth down, even though the, the fourth down screamers would talk about fourth downs and he wouldn't do it in games or certain situations where he'd go for the two-point conversion or the situations where he didn't. Part of that is not only analytics, but part of it is feel, knowing what the game situation is that's playing out, recognizing whether or not you have a personnel advantage that you think you know you can take advantage of on a fourth down, on a two-point conversion, trying an onside kick like he did at a certain point. You know, in the season was, oh, we're going to see a bunch of onside kicks from Matt Eberflus. We didn't see a bunch of onside kicks from Matt Eberflus, but there's a willingness to do what might be described as more the analytical, aggressive, you know, aspect of things from a game management perspective. But he doesn't overdo that. And I do think there's a balance to that. There's a nuance to that, that my impression is he gets and he doesn't necessarily veer too far in either direction. I I agree with that, actually. I, I think that on the spectrum of NFL coaches, he seems to He's at least competent. He seems to at least competent and get it, but I've been burned before. 
because Brandon Staley seemed like he was going to be the flag bearer of this movement of analytically inclined, aggressive, go for it, situational football. And he got eviscerated by the media. And now he's scared coaching these well, games. But that's what endears you apparently about Brandon Staley is, is, is certainly not the way I would describe Matt Eberflus because he's not uber aggressive. He's situationally aggressive. He's aware of where My, things are at with the matchup, with his personnel, with the flow of the game. Yeah. Like, you know, going for every fourth down doesn't always make sense. My, Sometimes no, I'm not saying offense, every fourth down. Okay. My, my point is, is that Brandon Staley had an identity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it didn't work. He got crushed for it. And now it's no longer his identity. How do you know he wasn't going to evolve regardless of getting crushed? It not working may have been a part of that evolution. He, Just the fact that he was doing things maybe. that weren't effective. He well he but he said that if we go for it on fourth down in this spot and then that spot comes up again, the fact that we got it or didn't get it the first time is not going to have a bearing on whether or not we do it again. And I'm coaching my guys to understand that. That mm-hmm. do not do not hang your head from failure. We'll trust our defense and we'll get it again. Because if you spin a roulette wheel and it comes up black, and then you spin a roulette wheel and it comes up black the next ten times, that does not mean on the eleventh spin it's more or and less they likely. Still put that little digital read yeah. out up there just to make us think the yeah. black's coming up the next time. Exactly. And and I was like, oh my god, finally someone who gets it's your it. spirit animal. I loved yeah. it. And uh, then all of a sudden he's punting. Even on, though it was a defensive coach. Yeah, and then he's punting on. Fourth and two from the opponent's 48-yard line with yeah. Justin Herbert as his quarterback. It was just it was disgusting. Right. Uh, and so my point, my point is, is that like the little data that we've seen from Eberflus on that seems encouraging, but it wouldn't shock me at all if he got it wrong. Like if it if it backfired on him in a few high-profile spots, and then he got more conservative or conventional or or whatever. But my point is like he. He's a rah-rah guy and a defensive guy, and I worry about the rah-rah stuff wearing off, and there was nothing that I really saw defensively. I don't think he's such a big rah-rah guy. He's not overly emotional out there. You rarely see him even yell on the sidelines during a game. I guess I, I mean – I, I think he's a very detailed guy. I've heard you call him a culture guy before. I think he's yeah. a culture guy. Yeah. But I don't think – you know, like Dan Campbell's a rah-rah guy. Like Dan Campbell is uber intense, doing up-downs with the guys – headbutting people in game like that's Dan Campbell is rah-rah I think Matt Eberflus is a defensive coach who shoot showed from like day one like at first press conference you could just hear the way he described his plan was in detail I just think there's this based he sure hustle intense the 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 hits principle he talks about it all the time the uh, hustle based football team and I just we're gonna we're gonna out effort everybody we're gonna out you know you show I told him show up to minicamp and bring your running shoes and I'm like okay like I just I I I, wor- I I worry about that guy. I, I I worry about the guy who the whole thing is based on. He effort. wanted more syllables in the words in his description. Like I don't know. It's, it's an opening press conference. How many coaches are going to get out the, the grease board and start drawing up coverages and what? Get your track shoes on because we're running. I was just like, oh god, that can wear thin real quick. I, I just I, you're going to be effort based. I don't know if you're going to be here ten years, buddy. Like that's going to be that's going to be tough. There to- are schemes that they were forced to call. You know, regardless yeah. of effort or, or anything else. Yes, they, they are effort-based, but they are also schemes that they deployed. They did not run the cover two nearly as much as everybody in this town. Oh, Lovey Smith and his cover two that he never got out of. They ran a good amount of cover two this season. They ran quarters. They ran man. And they and, got beat in all of them. And they, because they were awful, awful in the front seven. Yes. And between himself, Alan Williams, whoever else had a, a you know part in setting the defensive game plan, you saw them adjust throughout the season. Or, 
folks are talking about, well, why aren't they blitzing more? Uh, they're going to get ble- beaten the blitz as well. There were several games in a row, especially once um, uh, Wisconsin linebacker um, Jack Sanborn. Jack Sanborn. Once Jack Sanborn's in it, Mike. Then it's like, all right, let, let's bring some pressure. He's better moving forward. We'll use that on the interior. D-line's awful anyway. They start to blitz for a few weeks. Secondary gets banged up. They don't want to put them on an island. They stop blitzing for a while. We saw them evolve and try a variety of schemes throughout the season. And then even when there were a bunch of new guys in the secondary, they started going a bunch of man coverage. Think about that Green Bay game where they're just manning up against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and shutting them down with dudes who basically hadn't played in games for the Bears this season. They evolved a lot. Throughout the year, it wasn't just this simple cover two scheme week in and week out. Sometimes it was simple band coverage. Sometimes it was simple quarters coverage. Sometimes there was more of a blitz package. But there wasn't just this static thing that was out there on defense for the Bears all year. He's Ant Heron. He's in for Speaks. Got a bunch more on my list of do we agree or disagree on big picture football stuff, Bears and otherwise. Eloy made some comments that uh, upset a lot of White Sox fans. There's obviously this Mike Clevenger. They're upset at the wrong person, by the way. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that and the Mike Clevenger story uh, to get Shane and Tanny to weigh in on that. We talked a lot about it in transition, but we'll circle back around to that and continue to update you if any developments come over the course of today. It's Parkinson Spiegel with Ann Heron in on the score. I know this is uh, not something you know, people want to hear, but I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Eloy in right field. Mm. White Sox! White Sox! That was Pedro Grafal on Inside the Clubhouse. Anthony Heron in for Matt Spiegel. So we were uh, yesterday talking a lot about Lynn Bramer, obviously, who we will be talking about and thinking about in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. But we didn't do a ton of traditional sports talk yesterday, and so we talked about it among the three of us, like, Oh, we're, you know, the Eloy comments kind of came out right before we went on the air. Uh-huh. And we're like, and we're probably not going to get to them. And then everybody else is going to get to them yeah. before we get to them. But, we, you know, but it's just kind of the nature of how it works. So you've been scooped. Exactly. But it's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the messaging wasn't great, but it was just poor messaging. Like, I don't really think that this is some sort of sign of institutional failure by the White Sox. And anyone who knows me or this show knows, I'd be happy to point that out <laughs> if, if, if that's how I felt like it was. But let, let's just hear from Eloy on the idea of uh, designated hitter versus right field and the thing that kind of made everybody get all upset and call him selfish and all those things. I got two questions for you. Uh, the first one, just on the topic of you uh, embracing that possibility of, you know, a designated hitter, I know. Uh, what you just said, but in those conversations that you've had with the coaching staff, have they uh, expressed to you that they would like you to embrace that DH role a little more? Uh, well, not really. Um, we were talking, uh, and he just say, he, uh, well, I was talking to the manager, and he, and he said uh, that I – that we're gonna be more in the right field than left field uh, because uh, Benny Tendi is here now. Um, but we don't talk about DH a lot, so that was one of the things. Okay. I don't really think uh, that I'm gonna accept it because if I'm working hard, it's because I wanna get better and I wanna play. 
that doesn't sound that bad to me. That sounds like a guy who was told to prepare to play outfield, who wants to play outfield, is preparing to play outfield like he was told to because they signed Andrew Benatendi. He can't play right field. He's going to play left field. They gave him the largest contract in franchise history. I feel like he's just kind of doing what he was told. <laughs> I, I mean, I, he's like, I'm not going to accept it. Like, he's not saying that he's going to mutiny right. if he's in the lineup at DH, but he's not going to accept that he is, quote unquote, only a designated hitter. And obviously, you know, you have the second language that's a part of that also, you know, like how many different adjectives. Or, right. I'm not going to, I'm know. not going to get. I'm not going to be as harsh on a dude right. who's speaking in a second language. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I I wouldn't necessarily want him to to completely. I would prefer. I enjoy that he's not comfortable just saying, I'm going to show up to work and do nothing but DH every day. Like, I want to. I have been working at. So, like we were talking about with Patrick Williams earlier. Part of that evaluation internally, even more so than externally, is are you putting the requisite effort yeah. into getting better at your craft? And season after season – we do hear and see the White Sox claiming Elo's putting all his work in to get better in the outfield. Hasn't necessarily shown up a bunch. He, he has improved. You know, I think it's worthy of pointing out he has improved. And, and I've made fun of Eloy for ending up in the net. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it is, right. it's funny. And then it's not funny when he gets hurt. But, yes. like, but like, like, listen, I think that it is true that the best thing for the White Sox would be if Eloy was the designated hitter. Like, if they had an awesome left fielder and an awesome right fielder and he was an awesome designated hitter, I do think that's, like, the most natural fit. He's not a natural – it's not It's not uh, aesthetically pleasing to watch that dude play outfield. He's just, he, it's not always aesthetically pleasing just to watch him move. Like, once yeah. he leaves the batter's box, Eloy gets awkward. Yes. His hand-eye coordination in this stationary position is amazing. Once he starts running – he got hurt on the base pads. That's one of the things <laughs> people forget. He didn't get hurt every time in the outfield. He got hurt running the bases. Multiple times. That yeah. gets really awkward whenever Eloy Jimenez is not in the batter's box. It's not just about him being an outfield. He has gotten hurt in the outfield when, yes. he, when he jumped up on the wall unnecessarily right. and hung on it. That was a silly thing to do. Yeah, you weigh a- 250 pounds. <laughs> Don't dangle you know, on, on the outfield fence and you won't rupture any muscles. Yeah, So and, and if he can't play left, I doubt he can play right. Right is tougher. Stands to reason. Like, like in, in, in Little League, right, right field was easier because there were fewer – everybody was a pull hitter. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and there were fewer lefties. And so, like, they would stick my, you know, uncoordinated <laughs> ass out there in right field at uh, second base, and that's where I would play. And But, it, but in the big leagues, you have to make long throws from mm, right field. Right. That's, that's, I, so, I'm not looking forward to it. But, like, if they signed a dude who can only play left and then they got Robert in center – and then they're going to try uh, Oscar Colas in right, but your DH has to be available for flexibility at times mm-hmm. to give Grandal a day off his feet, to give Vaughn a day off his feet, whatever the case may be. Like Occasionally, if Eloy's pacing for 40 bombs, right. It might be worth it to give the dude a glove for six or seven innings. When you play interleague, if he doesn't just have to pinch hit, if he has a position yeah. that he can man in the outfield. Well, yeah, like you universal want him DH. Prepared yeah, for but, the all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You do want him prepared for these scenarios. Yeah, injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, I don't. Shane, Tanny, am I missing something? They, they told the dude to get ready. They didn't, they didn't say you're going to play 90 games out there. They're like, just 
get ready for right field because the $75 million man's playing left. They, they didn't say that he's playing there every day. He's not going to be your opening day right fielder. This is it's a non-issue. We, we've talked about this before with the the positional versatility that they don't have. Yeah. Yasmani Grandal, they say he's healthy. I believe Pedro Gafol when he says he's healthy, but he's never been able to stay healthy. Yasmani Grandal is not going to be able to catch a night game for nine innings and then catch a day game the following day. He might not even be able to catch back to back when there are two night games. You need Yasmani Grandal to get a lot of DH games this year, unfortunately. So you're telling me, assembled White Sox media, that is it is egregious for the White Sox to ask their outfielder to work on being an outfielder. I, you, you kidding me? I, I thought that Fegan's column on it was totally reasonable. Yeah, yeah, because he's totally reasonable. But to make a big <laughs> deal out of the White Sox asking Eloy to learn right field and then Eloy saying, I'm working really hard on yeah. learning right field right. because they asked me to. The problem will be is if... He does have to DH, and then he whines about it. If Eloy's spending the majority of his time DHing, which we believe that he should and he will, and he's whining about it, then we got an issue. The, the I issue, agree with I, that. I, the, the issue I think as well is that they're they're not insulated out there either. They they need to have themselves. When I reference going to break that they're mad at the wrong person, they need to have a legitimate right field. They don't have a fourth outfielder right now. That's the bigger problem Jake than Eloy being in, willing to go out there. The, the, yeah. Everyone should be, in my opinion, upset at the White Sox for not saying that we're, we're right now. They're just counting on a minor leaguer to play right field if it's not Eloy. Gavin That's Sheets the was issue. the statistically worst right fielder in all of baseball last year. You lost your first baseman because you let him go for no freaking reason. Now Andrew Vaughn's going to play first base. That's another hole. You don't want to see Gavin Sheets running around out there. I'd rather see Eloy. Eloy's more athletic than Gavin Sheets. I'd rather see Eloy. Well, I and I just this is a, I I agreed with what you said too about if in season he gets five starts in a row at DH and then starts sulking. Right. Okay. Well, that's selfish. Who are you confident is going to be the opening day right fielder? Oscar you sounded Colas. Confident. Okay. I just assume, never played a major league game. I, yeah. I just I just assume that they're not going into this thing saying this guy who was who had a slugging percentage of 500 when he was a DH for us and struggled in left field to stay healthy, I don't think their plan is 100 games of Eloy in right field. I think their plan is Oscar Colas in right field. They were happy that A.J. Pollock opted out, and that opened up a little bit of uh, flexibility out there, and they were like, okay, we're going to – we have to have him be available sometimes, but not all the – like. I don't know, 40 games? What, what's the, like, what, what? I think at least. You think because it, you, they're not insulated. Yeah. You, you can't count on somebody else being out there every day. I, I don't think Eloy's going to be out there every day, but Colas has never been at the major league level before. They're, they're not insulated there. It's nice to think you can count on him. Yeah. But we've seen the frustrations of all this other talent that they hope to bring up that they signed to extensions before they ever played a major league game. That development arc is not a thing you can guarantee. It's, I mean – Tanny, what would you say? How many games do you think we see Eloy start in right field? I think once a week, I think, would be appropriate. And I think that's what they'll do. Pedro Grafal has been around baseball long enough. He knows what this is. But I think he also knows that, hey, if Eloy wants to help this club maximize his value, he's going to have to play out there once, maybe twice a week, depending on matchup. But I think it'll be minimal 
you know, yeah, this is not going to be a common thing that we're going to see because they know we all have that. We have enough track record here of him being bad in left field. <laughs> and like, you don't want to put him in the harder spot in the other corner and see how that works out for you. I think they, they at least have to be smart enough to know that. But they, Eloy said he's more comfortable in right. <laughs> now, why that makes I sense, I don't know. But, but, yeah. but if he was uncomfortable in left field and that contributed to him looking like an idiot out there and he's more comfortable in right, there's a little bit of hope for a, a, a regression to the mean. I think he's just uncomfortable with physical movement. Yeah, like, That doesn't bode well for a professional athlete. It doesn't, no. man. You've seen him run the bases. You've seen him try to slide. You've seen him try to avoid people in the outfield. Even when he's not the one catching the ball, he just moves Awkward for whatever reason. When he's in the batter's box, he's at his most comfortable. As soon as he leaves there, Eloy is seemingly a train wreck waiting to happen. There's not a lot they can do, I think, to sort of negate that potential that he's going to injure himself because he's injured himself or been near injuring someone else everywhere on the baseball field. He just happens to be able to mash the ball. There is, Ant. You tell the guy to stop hitting the baseball on the ground and you won't have to come out firing from the batter's box. Hit the ball in the air. And the only running I want to see you doing on the base pass is a slow trot. Uh, That's it. I, Stop hitting the ball on the ground. When's the last time he played right field? Futures game? South Bend when he was with the Cubs <laughs> yeah. farm system? Like, when's the last time? Didn't he make a diving catch over the wall in the Futures game? He did. I remember. That's why, yeah. that's why I remember that game. Not, yeah. not a diving, but like a jumping catch over the wall in yeah. fall territory. Like, I mean, I'm, he's good. I'm assuming you guys have been evaluating Colas. For a little while, you, you just feel great about him being in right field? It's what we have, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> and like, th- it's, it's a flawed roster. They've yeah, conceded yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. and it's they, getting worse by the day, by the way. <laughs> right. More yeah. holes are being exposed here by the day. Exactly. I was told that they didn't even have the money to spend on Adam Duvall anyway. Mm. So don't, they don't have the money to go get a third or even a fourth major league outfielder. I don't even know, based on their track record, if they're in a position to win the AL Central come the trade deadline, I don't even know if they're going to make a move. Wow. They have to have some money in reserve for that. Well, that, that, but but Danny, it's not about having money in reserve. They have money in reserve. The owner doesn't want to pay the tax. They have all the money in the world. Well, they're not. They're that not close being allowed to. to yeah, they're like, uh, I, I think like what, fifteen away or sixteen away, something like that. But I mean, that's enough to add. Or, up or, or I'm sorry, close to where Jerry wants the payroll. Okay. There's that's, plenty that's of very money. different. Okay. That's There's very different. Plenty of money. <laughs> They're not being allowed to spend it. Okay. Well, the, those are to be clear. Those are two different things. A self-imposed payroll limit by an owner versus the luxury tax threshold are two different numbers. Which was a big part of why I've never had an issue with the Bulls considering and then going ahead and maxing out Zach Levine because Zach Levine, as one of your two or three best players, is fine. It's Jerry Reinsdorf's fault if they're not willing to go out and pay a second player the max or bring out someone else onto the roster who's going to make huge money. And that, to me, is about the owner, his expenditures, what he's willing to put out there because baseball is a different sport than the majority of the others that have more of a hard, firm salary cap. Yeah, I just – these comments are like, I don't accept it. They're not asking him to accept it. They literally said, prepare to play right field. And then he's a competitive athlete who was like – I'm preparing to play right field, so I do not accept that I cannot accept the challenge of playing right field. He might be disappointed by how infrequently they ask him to play right field, (laughs) but like... And then to Shane's point about not sulking (laughs) at that point when it happens. And and show me with effort out there. When you're playing left field, 
Show me. Don't let guys take an extra base every time. This mm. kid, I, I've been supporting him. Remember the shows we did in Mac's backyard after he was fell into the net? Not Mac, Eloy. <laughs> I, I said, I'll give this kid the benefit of the doubt that he wants to work hard and be good in the outfield. But since then, ha- can't stay on the field, doesn't show 100% effort. You know, maybe he's dealing with something. But if you're out there, you're healthy, right, Ant? So yeah, this no guy, doubt. he's giving me Carlos Lee vibes here, man. He's too I busy mean- waving to his mom. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mom. Cubs fans went through this with Schwarber. For, for a few seasons, and now there, there's no one complaining about Kyle Schwarber being in the outfield anymore. Now, but they Kyle never Schwarber, tried him in right. Right. I mean, <laughs> now Kyle Schwarber is a better, more coordinated athlete, I think. He, he doesn't look as awkward just moving as Eloy Jimenez looks to me when he's just moving around and running around as an athlete. He was just a bad outfielder that is now turned into a decent outfielder. Yeah. Shane's NFL draft bears hypothetical that blew my mind coming Ooh. up at 4 o'clock. We'll circle back around on the Mike Clevenger story next on The Score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show, afternoons on the score. So the Athletic reported that Mike Clevenger, who the White Sox signed this offseason to be a part of their starting rotation, there's an open investigation within Major League Baseball for domestic abuse. And there are allegations from the mother of his child, uh, I guess one of his children, that uh, he he hit her, he choked her, he threw stuff at her while she was pregnant, and then that he threw tobacco on his kid and kept car seats away from them and denied them resources and like all sorts of ugly, horrible allegations. The White Sox have basically said, we didn't know about it when we signed him. We're letting the situation play out. We've got no comment as of right now. Feel, you guys didn't comment on this during transition. I feel like this is a fairly easy one. He's certainly not good enough to care about this to like even give it much time, and that's the cold, hard truth of pro sports. Uh, but he's never going to play for the White Sox, and he shouldn't play for the White Sox, and he might never play again, right? This is pretty easy. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, Tanny, uh, but I'm going to say bad. <laughs> yeah, yo, that's I, yeah. I know agreeable sports radio is not necessarily <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. good, but yeah, I agree, Shane. We, we were trying bad. to figure out in here which one of us is going to take the good and which one of us is going to take the uh, bad to yeah. debate. Yeah, uh, but because we got to embrace debate, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to say bad, bad. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. I, I know the White Sox would love today to come out and say we're done with this, but there's probably a bunch of due process that they have to let play out, a bunch of paperwork that they they have to go through before they can officially say that. And if they and if they are able to do that and won't do it, then that's that's bad right that'll end up being a separate conversation yeah it's a bad situation um and regardless of what you think about rick's rickon's ability to run a professional baseball baseball organization he is a decent man who if he knew about this nobody in, in major league baseball is going to go through with the mike clevenger signing if they know that he threw tobacco juice at his 10 month old daughter and strangled his partner just, that's that's absolutely ballistic, and all talk on social media of it right now is ridiculous. Uh, Jerry think- might have known. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the, the White Sox due okay. diligence, right? Like, Rick didn't know about the second DUI for Tony. Yeah, there's history of them withholding information from him. Right. And but it, But he didn't hire that manager. In theory, he did sign this player. Correct. So that that was omitted from him. This would fall under his purview of 
If anybody knew, you should be able to uncover it. But I just don't think that they do the type of due diligence that we expect them to do. That's the and I thought it was a really interesting point you brought up in transition about this because we a lot of us, you know, we're passionate about football and you think of it through that NFL draft lens where you're like combing through everything with this fine tooth comb. Not every free agent acquisition is that, and certainly not every sport resources all these individual transactions in the way that the NFL does. And so, you know, th- this for them not to know about that is it inexcusable? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's unprecedented. No, I mean, he 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 signed a one year contract. He's thirty two years old. My guess is, and this isn't an excuse. It's just the reality of the situation. And they, they got got hundreds of players in your organization when you yeah. factor in all of the levels of your minor leagues it's a one-year deal it was like well his statistical profile for innings that we think that he will provide us is what we are going to look into and then we maybe ask a few teammates about how he is on a clubhouse mm-hmm. and that you know and i i know that you'd like to think that they do much more than that but i don't know how many people knew about all of this stuff people lead double lives all the time i just think if, it, if the reporting from The Athletic is true, that the White Sox didn't know about it, as long as, and no one's really defending this dude publicly, mm-hmm. not even his agent, like, he's just done. Like he's, his career's probably over. He probably never put pitches in Major League Baseball again. Like if, Trevor Bauer it was one of the best pitchers in baseball right. on a nine-figure contract, and he was out of baseball for years, just got it reinstated, and we'll see if a team picks him back up and trots him out there and he's maintaining his innocence and saying it was consensual and it was violent sex. This like no one's really defending his innocence. He's not good. He's old and it's a one year deal. My guess is this allegation completely sinks his career and it should. He's done. It feels (laughs) fairly cut and dry. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and then there's the baseball side of to Tanny's point. They have another hole because now they need another starting pitcher. Because I mean, he what was he going to be the fourth or fifth? Five. Yeah, he's going to be the fifth, right? Yeah, yeah. So they had a guy in house. Who I could remember have been the fifth, and he he, I mean, he brought a lot of good vibes to the team. Yeah, and, and, and good pitching and and longevity in game. Yeah, it'll be a typical White Sox move, and the opening opening day starting rotation will end with the five spot of Davis Martin. Mm-hmm. Oh, that gosh. that will be the fifth starting pitcher, which isn't a bad thing. And they might use him as an opener kind of thing, but Davis Martin will likely be the, the fifth starting pitcher. Can I remind you, Shane, that this is supposed to be a World Series window. <laughs> <laughs> right, but this is a World Series window managed by Big Window. Oh, big no. window. Dump, yeah, dump yeah oh. managed by Big Window. God. So it's a very faulty window. We don't like Big Window. No, your, your heating bills are going to be through the roof. Heating bills also going to be through the roof. No, yeah, he's, he's an angry White Sox. He's furious. I forgot yeah. we were anti-Big Window on this oh, show. We I always hate forget him. that. We, yeah. we, we hate him. Right. It's just the worst part of society. Uh, coming up next, Shane had a Bears hypothetical that kind of blew my mind. It was like a real oh, galaxy brain take. And Aaron, imagine. you have no idea what's coming. It's next on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.